I'm not giving up, and neither should you. And live from New York, it's Saturday night. It's Saturday Night Live. Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. Tonight we'll be discussing Season 42, Episode 6 of Saturday Night Live with host Dave Chappelle and musical guest A Tribe Called Quest. I'm John Murray, and joining me this week is Steve Finn. Steve is the host of Transparency on CHMR 93.5 FM in St. John's, Newfoundland. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at Transparency CHMR. And you can connect with us at snlafterparty.fm. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. These reviews help us to get the word out, and they're greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. As of about 7 a.m. this morning, the word is that the actual SNL after party is still going strong. I get the feeling that pretty much everyone that participated last night maybe felt like they needed to blow off some steam. (laughs) Yeah, they need to drink until they forget. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't quite figured out what my take on this show is. So I'm hoping that us batting it around is going to help me kind of crystallize my feelings on it. Cause there was just a lot to take in a lot of context for everything. And just obviously we're living in a, a brave new world this week, you know, with the election upset that, that happened on Tuesday. So we've got just like so many different factors coming at this show that I think it's going to be something that a lot of people feel very passionately about. And uh, I just haven't quite been able to wrap my head around it yet. So this is going to be fun. I hope that, I hope that we can at least find some, uh, some take on the show that resonates with people because <laughs> this is just, this is like walking through a field of landmines in a lot of ways. There's, there's so many people that have such impassioned opinions about everything that's gone on in the last week, one way or another that I, I just, I don't know how to satisfy all of them. So yeah, this cast might end up being a, a little bit different than what we've done. Yeah. But let's take our best stab at it and hope people enjoy the ride. I hope so. Yeah. So do you think, uh, how, what, do you, what do you think the mood is among the cast and writers after last night's show? I don't know. They probably feel a, a good release of tension, right? That probably was really therapeutic to most of the staff. They probably needed to let off some steam. You could see that in the cold opening. You know, it it was also a tribute to Leonard Cohen, who we just lost. Right. But aside from that, you know, Kate was in costume as as Hillary Clinton. So Mm -hmm. I got the sense that they were mourning their nation, basically, as they knew it. Yeah, there was definitely a few levels to that cold open. We'll we'll bite into that a bit more in a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I think I got the same read that like a month ago or whenever, when they decided to queue up a tribe called Quest and Chappelle, I think the expectation was they were planning on like a celebratory episode. Like they thought that, okay, Hillary's going to take the White House and now we can basically have a show that caters to all of the people that felt so marginalized by Trump and really like have like this elated sort of optimistic show. And so they lined up Chappelle who could speak to that in a lot of ways and a tribe called Quest and just kind of like stack the deck so that they could really have an intensely jubilant show. And <laughs> and then they get this curveball and it seems like obviously there was a lot of scrambling. And actually, uh, before we dig too deep into that, there was a lot of um, feedback and a lot of conversation on Reddit. And um, we got a little bit directed at us. So I just wanted to uh, maybe frame a couple questions based on the feedback that we got. Okay. So- the first feedback is from Redditor, I just sweep here, dude. And because they offer a little bit of commendation at the top of their feedback, I'm going to do it as a, uh, as a dramatic reading. <laughs> 
I just want to say uh, I love your podcast. Uh, you guys put on a great recap of SNL, and I always look forward to uh, hearing your opinions and observations on the show. <laughs> and then he follows that up by asking, I was curious about your opinions on how the outcome of the election may have been due to the SNL portrayal of politicians. In the election of Gore versus Bush in 2000, some people, reporters and various television analysts, stated that Gore lost the election due to SNL's influence in some way. So did we get a repeat of that in some way with these two candidates? Do you feel like either Baldwin's portrayal or Kate's portrayal in some way endeared one side or the other or alienated one side or the other? Do you think there was really, do you think SNL moved the needle on this one the way that some people think that Will Ferrell's Bush may have in 2000? You know what? I think if you, if you, you know, look at weekend update or any political sketches, you kind of get this sense that they're telling you you'd have to be an idiot to vote for Trump. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, if you're a sensible, reasonable person, you're going to vote for Hillary. So imagine you're a Trump supporter or you, you agree with a lot of things Trump say, but you live in a world where, you know, people, you know, get mad at you mm -hmm. for having that opinion. Now, that doesn't change your opinion. That just makes you, you know, kind of bury it down deep sure. inside. Yeah. You still have that opinion. You just don't vocalize it anymore. You're covert, but you still vote the way you're going to vote. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why there was like a silent majority, basically. None of the polls suggested that Trump was going to win. Sure. And that's because they were afraid to state their opinions about this. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's not till they're in the voting booth that the truth comes out. Yep. So, you know, all the things that SNL did and, and a lot of, a lot of other, you know, media outlets, them kind of creating this binary sense of right and wrong between the two candidates had a, the opposite of its in, intended effect, I think. Yeah, no, you could be onto something there. It, it very well may have stifled some legitimate discourse. Like people just weren't willing to come forward with their, their views, like you said, because they felt like there just wasn't a place for that. I really don't think SNL was able to influence the election in a positive way. I don't think either of the characterizations were terribly flattering to the candidates. I personally like looking at the last 18 months as a whole, I think that they went easier on Hillary than Trump, but they, they didn't make Hillary relatable or your friend, which was the thing that people say Will Ferrell's impression kind of did was it made him more relatable and buddy, buddy, and, and just like a guy you wanted to have a beer with, which I think Horatio Sands said mm -hmm. because of making Bush more likable that very well could have had a meaningful impact. Whereas this time there was nothing anyone could do to make either candidate really relatable or likable. So I, I don't think that this was the, the deciding factor this time around. I think what you're saying probably had something to do with it. I don't think SNL was the linchpin in causing Trump supporters to go underground, but the media in general and the uh, the amount of vitriol <laughs> that's been flung back and forth. I think you're right. It probably did have a cooling off for a lot of people where they just said, okay, you know, I'm not saying another word till election day. Right. Okay. Uh, we got some other feedback. This is from Reddit user, pretty in pink. One thing that's been on my mind that I would appreciate if you could address is how much of the political joke sketches will feel as though they were written in a rush or indicates that they were banking on a Hillary win. This was obviously an out-of-nowhere event that SNL luckily had half a week to change. So were the cold open and any of the other sketches that may have been originally planned, were they impacted by Tuesday's upset? Thoughts? You know, Pretty in Pink might be onto something there. I mean, look at this cold opening. There was no writing involved. Sure. That could be a rushed, you know, placeholder for maybe something more fleshed out to celebrate a Hillary win sure. that they couldn't use. I felt it was pretty obvious that they had to scrap a lot of material they worked on yep. and basically went with Kate playing a song. I think for the cold open, obviously that was uh, completely the result of some fortuitous timing with, you know, Leonard Cohen's passing. Yeah. Having that song, I think really uh, was a convenient opportunity where they could pay homage to Leonard Cohen and that song, you know, is considered one of the most beautiful <laughs> things ever written by the hand of man. Yeah. So you've got a powerful emotional song that always is a win, right? Like just when that song comes on the radio, I kind of just stop and give it my attention. Mm -hmm. So you have that. 
it plays perfectly with how we're assuming the the part of the country that supported Hillary is feeling right now. So they're going to get out of it what they want out of it. And it just happens that we have Kate McKinnon here who can actually perform it, who is our Hillary. So it has that double poignancy of you're looking at Hillary conveying these, you know, uh, somber <laughs> melodies. And it just probably is the kind of the cathartic mourning that so many of Hillary's supporters would want presented for her. Yeah. Here is a little send off and just a little moment for you. So it played on all those levels and it wasn't needlessly offensive. It was that tightrope walk that they probably couldn't have walked well if they had to write a more conventional cold open. So that, <laughs> that was a serious win. Yeah. And like, this is as far as you could go with how a lot of the country was feeling because imagine if, you know, they tried to do something that directly addressed it and had Baldwin come out mm-hmm. in orange face again to do Trump. Right. Only this time we now know that he's, he's been elected. I mean, go on Facebook and look at some of the reactions. It, it's, it's comparable to nine 11. Some people have lost all hope. <laughs> sure. It's, it's really a big deal for a lot of people. So for them to like try to goof on it and yep. in any way, it would have been bad for him, I think. So they were smart to do this. Yeah. We had a too soon situation, right? There is. Yes, exactly. There, There's this trick that Lauren Michaels is surprisingly good at, which is knowing exactly when the right moment is to switch out of comedic mode and pay tribute and uh, alleviate everyone of the burden before jumping back into comedy. Mm-hmm. They've done it a handful of times throughout the show's history, 9-11 being a superlative example when Paul Simon came on and, and did the boxer. So this is one of those kind of moments where we're acknowledging that this isn't really a laughing matter yet. And we're okay with that. And we're just going to play it straight and give you a moment to, <laughs> to mourn. Yeah. So getting past the cold open then just, I don't want to like do the whole recap based on this, this one Redditor's feedback, but is there any other obvious moments in the show that you picked out where you said, okay, well, this is obviously them pivoting Wednesday and scrapping what they had and throwing this sketch in instead. Like where in the show were the obvious moments that had to have been the result of the election upset? You know, I could see the election night sketch. I think that was the first sketch after the monologue Mm -hmm. that could have gone a a slightly different way where, you know, Hillary still won, but they're just surprised that Trump was doing so well in certain states. Cause as I was watching the election coverage and it started to snowball and and start to resemble more and more like Trump was winning, Mm -hmm. you know, I was explaining it away and I felt it was just going to be like a neck and neck nail biting race where Hillary would come out on top. Right. And that might've been what the sketch looked like before we got the results. Mm -hmm. It might've been just trying to capture that sense of suspense followed by the relief of getting Hillary instead of Trump. Sure. But you know, it could be something they just pulled out of thin air because it does, you know, directly depict the, the outcome and, and everything that happened on that fateful night. So I don't know that that's the one thing that, since it's specifically about the election, you could argue that it had to be amended in some ways. Yeah, I think that's the obvious one to focus in on. I don't know if there was a sketch in place in that setting, kind of with those characters' costumes. Like I don't, I don't know if there was an original sketch that they gutted for it, but it does seem like as soon as the election happened, it wouldn't have taken too long to figure out the premise of that sketch and build it up. Mm-hmm. The fact that they pulled in Chris Rock and he flubbed almost all of his lines makes me think that it wasn't something that anyone was super comfortable with the material. Like, I don't think that there was a lot of rehearsal and refinement and just polish on it. So my guess is that that was probably ginned up on Wednesday. I don't think that that came out of anything prior. That's my hunch, but I don't know one way or another. It is interesting that in his monologue, he basically makes a joke that is that sketch, right? Like he kind of talks about how white people didn't see it coming, but as a black guy, he, he knows, you know, he knows white people. So to him, there was, there was nothing to really, you know, get worked up about. Whereas all of his white liberal, liberal friends obviously would have. So he laid out that already. So I think that was maybe in his thinking. And as soon as that was a joke that he could crystallize in his monologue, it was easy to pitch that as let's flesh that out and actually play on that. Yeah. That's my hunch. Anyways, let's get into the cast. 
Now we already talked a lot about the cold open, so we don't need to tread over all that territory again. Uh, yeah, I think I think I said everything that I had planned to. Yeah, I don't I don't have much to add either. Uh, just it's a beautiful song. As soon as she started playing the song, and I realized, okay, they're going serious. They're giving us a moment to mourn. I I understand why this is a a smart play here. As soon as that happened, I felt like okay, I'm really invested in the show now because I get a sense of how sensitive they are to what's going on out their window. Right. And that to me felt important and good. And so I really did feel like this was a smart move. Okay. Chappelle's state of the union. What did you think of the monologue? Well, it was Dave Chappelle, just like uh, I've always known him. Mm -hmm. And it's been a while since he's been on television or in movies or anything. It was nice to just see him on an official outlet. Uh, for the first time in over a decade, really. Mm-hmm. 11 years. <laughs> it, it was just amazing. I laughed really hard at this monologue, probably the, the loudest out of the season. That Harambe joke put me on the floor. <laughs> that was The good. joke about Pulse, which was a bit of a risk to take, but really paid off. That was like mm-hmm. hilarious to me. And I didn't find it too offensive. Some would argue, I'd say like very sensitive people would argue that it's too soon or something you should never joke about. But I think it was, uh, <laughs> you know, I think it was in, in good enough taste yeah. to put a comedic spin on it. And I was left wondering, um, he, he apologized to Lorne. Do you remember <laughs> that? Yep. Do, do you think that was a part of the act or did he actually say something that he kept secret from, from the guys? I am willing to bet. And hopefully we can get confirmation on this, but I am almost certain that between dress and live Lauren watched his monologue and said, "Mm, maybe we'll take out the pussy joke. Yeah. And in Dave Chappelle's head, maybe he's thinking, well, what have I got to lose? Right? Like nobody owns me. I got nothing to, you know, nothing to push here. No game to play. I don't need to bow to an exec. Yeah. For sure. My hunch is that this was probably him making an executive decision (laughs) live on air and wanting to at least acknowledge that this may be a line that the show didn't want him to cross, which just made it that much more delicious. I think everyone at SNL wanted Chappelle there so bad and was so pumped on being able to go through that experience with him that I don't think anyone's frowning on the fact that he maybe just, you know, <laughs> d- decided to just push just a little bit there. Yeah. It's, it's what, it's a one liner. It's not, he didn't throw a sketch off or break and then go into some diatribe in the middle of the live broadcast. Like he didn't derail the show. He, he just, <laughs> he just couldn't help himself. Just needed that, that one little delicious joke. <laughs> And it's so Chappelle to do that. So all is forgiven. Yeah. He's there's, there's a few people that can do that. And I think he's probably one of them. If he, if he ever wanted to come back, the show would be stupid to not let him. Cause at the end of the day, ratings are King for Lauren. So I don't, I don't think uh, Lauren's need to be the, the final word on everything is going to Trump a great possible show. That's what he's trying to put together at the end of the day. He is a businessman. Yeah. So I had a few thoughts like when I was watching the monologue after the cold open and realizing, okay, so they're consciously trying to walk a line here and figure out a path through the show. That's going to be as palatable as possible for everyone. As I'm watching the the monologue, I'm thinking, okay, well, how is Chappelle going to play into that? Because he's going to have some very charged subjects that he's going to be delving into. I was surprisingly charmed with, for the amount of serious topics and serious points that he made and how, deeply he jumped into certain racial topics i just thought his coolness his slow and methodical and reasonable delivery just sold these jokes that otherwise i probably would have been cringing at just going like why do we need more race stuff like why does it always have to be about this having him there just sort of flowing through it it won me over and i just i enjoyed the ride end to end even like I, I could care less about the N word to be perfectly honest. Like I'm not one of the people that just shudders and recoils yeah. at the thought of it ever being said in, in polite company. Like I, I just don't have that taboo, but still, because you know that so many people do anytime you hear it on air, you're like, are they even allowed to do that? Like, am, am I supposed to be, you know, uh, covering my, my virgin ears here? And yeah, but that's more out of curiosity sure. than actually being legit offended. Right. Yeah. No. And there's so many people like will act 
offended and feel like they have to keep up that pretense. But most people genuinely, when it comes right down to it, don't care. <laughs> yeah. If you spent three minutes in a comedy club, you know that <laughs> people are more than happy to laugh at that word in the right context. But anyways, even the fact that that came out so many times in the monologue and throughout the rest of the show, it just, none of it ever put me off. I just loved it absolutely end to end unequivocally. I thought for whatever reason, he was just able to engage me and just keep me enraptured and all of the social context and all the meta stuff and everything else that you thought was going to creep in and make them sort of water down the monologue. It just all evaporated. I wasn't thinking about it at all. And that I think was a real, real win for the monologue. Total win. Yeah. All right. And, uh, here we are (laughs) 20 minutes later. Let's, let's talk about some of these sketches here. (laughs) Oh, right. There's sketches on this show. Yeah. Just a few, just a few. Okay. Election night in America. Did you think this was smart? Did you think we needed this? What, what was the message here and did it work for you? Well, yeah, it was brilliant. I found, okay. uh, the message here, you know, that comes out when you look at, uh, how not surprised the black characters are compared to how it's completely unfathomable to the white characters, right? They know there is racism out there, but it's not directed towards them. So it's easy for them to underestimate how many people do think that way. And I'm not saying that every Trump supporter is a racist, but maybe we should uh, take a cue from just how not surprised (laughs) those black guys were about how this all turned out. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we should try and be more, just have more of a sociological imagination when it comes to politics. Yeah, there is something immediately funny about a group of obviously comfortable white people feeling marginalized for the first time in their life, (laughs) (laughs) feeling like they don't have a voice or that the country's not working for them. I can totally understand why Dave Chappelle would be enamored with the the premise of this sketch. I don't know who came up with it, but I have a feeling that he probably heavily influenced the tone of it. I liked it. I liked the concept. I felt that It was a little stilted. I think Chris Rock uh, flubbed all of his lines, which kept pulling me out of it because I didn't notice that a lot. No, you did. The the jokes were good, but his timing was off and his cue card reading was obvious and just a little disjointed and and fumbly. But the, the sketch as a whole, because it had that smart concept and because it's fun to watch these people be bewildered and then Dave Chappelle be the voice of sanity in that situation, um, because that was a, a strong concept, it carried the other weaknesses in the sketch. And so at the end of it, I felt like it was marginally a win for me. I thought this was good in the show. It would have been better if just the performance had been more precise and a little bit more polished. Yeah, uh, I thought Dave was on point. Yeah, Dave was. It was just Chris Rock that was putting me off. I thought that maybe he had just, you know, popped in that day, went over the lines once and they put him on air kind of a thing. But I've gotten word that he's been palling around with Chappelle for the last few days. I know that he was with Chappelle when he was workshopping his monologue at the Comedy Cellar on Friday. Oh, okay. So I'm guessing that they must have been batting all this around and trying to come up with what you know, Chris's jokes were going to be and how they were going to fit into the sketch. So I'm assuming that they've been actually probably plugging away on this since Wednesday or Thursday, which kind of surprised me that Chris Rock wasn't able to deliver them better. I felt like even the the ones where he didn't flub the line, he didn't quite sting them right. There, There's no rhyme or reason to sometimes when a sketch gets a little awkward and when it holds together, just the, it's just the reality of trying to pull off a performance under the, the constraints of Saturday Night Live. Right. Moving on. Our first pre-tape. Oh, interestingly, Chappelle decides that he wants to do a little bit of an introduction before they jump into this Chappelle's Walking Dead. Right. Why do you feel like it was necessary for him to let us know that, hey, I know everybody wants to see all the Chappelle's show characters, so here it is. You know, let's just get this out of the way. Like, why do you feel like he had to kind of preface the, the sketch? Well, he didn't have to. But I think it was very clear that what they were going for was the old Chappelle show format. Right. Where he would be in front of a studio audience and he would have something to say to introduce each sketch. Okay. And then he says, let's take a look at it. And he, you know, points off stage. So he did exactly that. So I think that's why they did that. Just to, just to be reminiscent of, of how we know Dave Chappelle. 
Yeah. Um, my only thought on the introduction and sort of the meta of the sketch is that in a way, this was kind of just a convenient way for Chappelle to say, okay, here's what you guys want, you know, for the fans of Chappelle show, here's a little something so that you don't walk away saying, why didn't he bring back any characters? We're just going to cram them all into a sketch and we're literally going to murder one. (laughs) (laughs) And then we're not going to talk about me doing my old characters anymore for the rest of the show. I kind of felt like that was why this sketch was necessary. I think it was fun kind of what they came up with, but I feel like maybe that was why they decided to take this approach with the sketch. So that said, let's, let's actually talk about it. Do you feel that this worked? Was this a fun pre-tape? Yeah. Um, and I was trying to take off my nostalgia glasses to really just objectively sure. review it, which was hard because Chappelle show is probably one of the most consistently high quality shows ever made. Like every sketch is a, is a hit. Mm-hmm. Very little of that show was lost on me. Everything worked. If you know how Dave Chappelle worked on that show, like, he would do take after take after yep. take to get everything right. So the fact that this was done in a Chappelle show way was probably shot in the way that he was used to filming things for the Chappelle show. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say it had a much different approach behind the scenes than a typical SNL short. Yeah. My thinking on it was sort of fun, but sort of not memorable to me. Like, yes, it is cool that you get, Tyrone Biggums and, and all the characters still seemed sharp, right? Like they all were doing their thing as well as they ever did on Chappelle show. Yeah. But the premise of it, trying to tie it in with the walking dead and that particular scene, I just felt like it was, it became a little too convoluted and then they made it absurd at the end, right? Like he decapitates Biggums and, <laughs> and then he has this, um, uh, sort of like impassioned speech, the headless monologue. Yeah. yeah. So there was a, a lot going on and it's almost like none of the characters quite got enough time for it to feel satisfying. I can't point at anything that was particularly bad about it. Right. Performance wise, it was good. Uh, all of the characters, little one-liners and back and forth and jokes and stuff. That was all good. They did have some poignant Trump stuff. There was a lot there to digest. It just, it didn't quite come together for me. Yeah. It's kind of hard to get all the way there when you're trying to cram that much in just to pander to the fans. Right. You know, I'll admit to it. There, there was a lot of that. Yeah. Even when you watch Chappelle show, you won't see that many Chappelle characters all in one sketch. Right. There was a conscious effort to load this one up and get it all out of the way. Yeah. Which is a pretty glaring quality of the, of the sketch. Yeah. That's what weighs it down really. But I mean, the material itself was pretty good. I, I thought the monologue was funny and that visual of his, of his floating head and being attached to different <laughs> political figures. I just, it made me laugh and it made me laugh in a way that Dave Chappelle used to make me laugh. And it, it, it just, it just reminded me of his style. Yep. It's a 75% win, I'd say. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I, and like I said, for me, marginally a win. Yeah. Moving on. A Tribe Called Quest. We're going to talk about both musical performances. The first one, We the People. What'd you think? Really, really great stuff. You know, they're still capable of, of putting the energy into doing what they do. They're still very much the same group. Uh, we are, you know, unfortunately, we've lost Fife Dog. You know, we did get some recorded vocals from him. And that was a very interesting mural mm-hmm. uh, they used to commemorate him. So I think aside from that, you know, very noticeable absence of one of the key members, I, I think they are still every bit as as uh, effective sure. as they were in their prime. Fair enough. But the second song, The Space Program, where Consequence and Busta Rhymes come up and join them for the, the last little bit, I really dug that. I thought that was great. Busta Rhymes, more like Busta Pant Zipper. <laughs> that joke was too easy. <laughs> yeah, so I just, I thought the second one was a real, real win. Like that to me felt like solid hip hop. I really liked, I can't really repeat it because apparently I'm not the right color to be able to say it. But at one point they hold on the N word and use that almost as a vocal loop for the other member to then come and layer a lyric on top of, which was fantastic. (laughs) They were so on beat and so tight with their back and forth that it almost felt like you could have been listening to an album version. There's a lot of hip hop artists where you can feel how much looser it is live than when it's performed in the studio. And so to know that they've got their craft so down that they just, they, they feel it and they just know exactly how to keep 
tight. Well, they didn't have all of the the special, you know, little tools that modern artists have today. Sure. To fix those little mistakes. Like Drake can get into into the studio and just belch into the microphone <laughs> for half hour. And they'll turn it into gold, yeah. <laughs> they'll make a sick beat out of it. Right. But you know, back then they were probably recording on a quarter inch tape and they pretty much had to be on rhythm and on beat and just be good in the performance sense. And that's exactly what was on display. The fact that they came up in a simpler time when you had to hone your craft and really, really just get that level of precision in your performance. Mm -hmm. uh, It just, it shows like they've got so much time behind them now and so much performance behind them that it just comes off effortless. And I was really happy to see the performance as energetic and tight and powerful as that was. Totes. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. We're sponsored this week by Firefan. So some of our listeners may be familiar with the sport of football. It's kind of like tag, but for grownups. Anyway, over the last few years, it's really started to catch on. And now there's even a national football league with teams and costumes and prizes and everything. Football has actually become so popular that people have even started their own fantasy football leagues. And this is where Firefan comes in. Firefan is a fantastically fun and easy to use new mobile app for iPhone and Android that takes the idea of fantasy football to a whole new level. Instead of just drafting players, Firefan actually lets you make real-time predictions drive by drive as the game unfolds. Like, for example, you could predict whether the next kickoff will be returned for a touchdown. Or will the next drive end in a punt or a turnover or a field goal? Rather than being distracted with individual player stats, Firefan puts you right in the middle of the game. And Firefan isn't just about football. You can also play along with world soccer. And they'll be adding basketball, baseball, hockey, rugby, golf, tennis, and even cricket in the coming months. Though there's still no official word yet on Ultimate Frisbee. With Firefan, you can compete against your friends, sports heroes, and even celebrities. You can build a league and play the entire season. You make the calls, you predict the plays, the scores, the penalties, and so much more. And if that wasn't enough, Firefan even lets you compete for fantastic prizes like sports memorabilia, game tickets, and even cars. And with in-game chat and social media integration, you can interact with your league and your opponents no matter where they are playing from. Firefan is officially launching this Thanksgiving, but you can get early access today by going to firefan.com and entering early access code Haley. That's H-A-L-E-Y. Firefan is free, family-friendly, and the absolute best way to put you and your friends in the middle of all the action. Remember, to get early access to Firefan, go to firefan.com right now and use early access code Haley. That's H-A-L-E-Y. And our thanks to Firefan for sponsoring this episode of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. Weekend update. We're officially past the election, so this was our moment to kind of see if they were going to try and realign and um, bring SNL back from all of the election cycle centric kind of dark material that they've been riffing on so much lately. How do you feel this one stacked up? Well, it was, uh, you know, it was just as Trump heavy as everything leading up to the election. Mm -hmm. And you could argue that they did not intend for that to be the case. Sure. But pretty, you pretty much have to talk about what happened. So for it to be this saturated in all that, it makes sense. Like if Hillary won, we'd probably, you know, get a few jokes about it. And then it would, you know, we'd get more of the vegetarian jokes or the the Walt Disney jokes. Yeah. But this uh, merited a lot of time dedicated to Trump winning and everything that went along with that. They did get good material out of that. I really like the Obama f- being the founder of ISIS. That was a, a good <laughs> joke that referenced a real uh, statement made by Trump. Yep. There was a lot of love for Hillary. Sure. There was a little bit of that, but for what it's worth, considering how impassioned so many people are, I felt like, okay, this is obviously the kind of stuff that we'd be getting with the situation that we have. And I don't feel like anyone was working too hard to really try to craft a strong agenda for weekend update, but obviously their sympathies were on full display and I'm okay with that at this point. Like that's something that I know is going to melt away over the coming weeks and months as other uh, issues take center stage. There was like, overall, I thought that, uh, some of the jokes really misfired. I felt like maybe their timing and, and, uh, the delivery was just not working on a lot of this stuff, but there was a couple really good jokes that I just thought were worth 
dwelling on. Jost had a really fun moment where he wanted to pay due to all of the female minorities that were elected to Senate. Oh yeah. So he's like, you know, let's, let's roll them. And you get the first like half a second of fight song. And then, you know, the, the role is done because there was only four of them that as a visual gag, as a timing gag, as them cutting back to Jost prematurely and him wanting to take a swig of his coffee and not having time to even get one swig down. All of that end to end was a great bit. Really brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And not only was it great writing because there was so many different aspects to it, right? What's Joe's reaction? How long does the, the role go before it has to disappear so that we understand that this is an abruptly short list? All of the little tiny particulars of that joke that had to be tuned just right for it to land great. They were all in place. Like that was a really well executed joke. And I just thought that that deserves a, uh, a little bit of commendation. Our one feature for the night is Kate McKinnon as Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And the story here is Ruth Bader Ginsburg is not going to give up her seat because then it could potentially be given to someone that would be Trump friendly or, you know, Republican friendly. So there was a, a bit of a, you know, ripped from the headlines kind of a story here. Do you feel like they mined that for good jokes? Did we want to see her? Yeah, it was, it was appropriate to see her. You know, given how, you know, not just Trump winning, but, you know, Congress and, and the Senate, they're all now exclusively Republican. Right. So they do have the power to basically give us a, a Republican Supreme Court until we're dead mm-hmm. and beyond. So I think it was a, a very appropriate time to bring back this recurring character. Sure. Aside from how appropriate it was to see her, the, the material was good and Kate's performance was also amazing. This is another example of how she, how she just doesn't let anything get in her way. Mm -hmm. Like she can just pour a pound of orange powder into her mouth and she'll still get all her lines. She won't break. She won't choke. I'm pretty sure she sat down with a package of orange powder and rehearsed stuffing her (laughs) face with it because you know, it just went without a hitch. Yeah. It was very impressive. Yeah. She was very good at rolling with it when, it became obvious that she couldn't speak. She had so much of that stuff, just sucking all of the moisture out of her head. Um, yeah, yeah. She, she's very good at rolling with it and she's very good at keeping the energy up and, you know, her as an old lady doing these, uh, really like high energy dances and, you know, all of that, the, the Gins burned stuff. It's all fun. It's all great. My thought on it though, was if SNL was trying to, walk a line here tonight and try and keep as uh, much enthusiasm from both sides of the camp for the show. I just wondered why they came out with an overt political message here, right? Like Joe, uh, lobs her a like softball question about like, well, is there anything that can be done? And she's like, yeah, Obama can just, you know, can ratify a nominee, you know, right now while he's still in office. And that sounded a lot like a call to action, like a plea. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get behind this issue. So you've got that. And then you've also got in the, the cold open, the, the little moment where Kate does speak seemingly as Hillary, but the subtext is it's, this is Kate's passion as well as Hillary's passion. And basically says, you know, I'm not giving up. You shouldn't either. Like let's stay the course and let's, you know, get this country back on track one way or another. So there was some like overt advocating for the democratic cause throughout the show. And normally the show doesn't go too far with that kind of stuff. Like it, even though they goof on politicians one way or another, they don't usually come right out and say, this is what we want you to do. And I felt like we saw that a couple times tonight. And I just, I don't know if they just couldn't help themselves or if they've just decided that they're going to realign themselves and never let an election go the wrong way again, kind of a thing. Like I was surprised, um, that they were willing to try and, and push these, these agendas uh, as clearly as they were. It's not as subtle as it, as it was before this, eh? Yeah. So it was a good bit and I don't fault them. Like if that's, if that's what they want to do, like if they want to basically say from here on out, SNL is going to endorse a candidate and they are going to use their platform to not let the country go a way that they feel is bad. Like if there is some sort of consensus in the show and the show rallies behind a cause, so be it. There's lots of shows that are political. It just, because Lauren Michaels has always talked about how, you know, like the left always thinks that we're pandering to the right and the right always thinks we're pandering to the left. And it's good comedy. If both sides are saying that about the same sketch, I think with a sketch like this, it's very hard to make the claim that you were shooting for that. Yeah. 
Uh, and only time will tell whether that's a, a thing that they continue to do or whether that's just it's the week after the election and everyone's fired up and feisty and they just couldn't help themselves. Yeah. And you're not the only one who sees it. Yeah. I see it too. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm not saying it's good or bad one way or another. Just I think it's on display. And when it is on display, we should at least acknowledge it. Back half of the show. Jerry's place. The goof in this sketch is that it is an intentionally bad sketch that the SNL cast then comes out of and does sort of like a post sketch (laughs) recap kind of a thing uh, where they do a press conference and the press grills them on their crushing defeat in this sketch, a la like a, a sports game. I guess they already did our job for us. This this is pretty much what we do for sketches. As I was watching it, I'm like, did they write this sketch because we've been coming down too hard on the show? Like, are they basically saying, you know, haters back off <laughs> as a sketch that becomes kind of a comment on itself, like that kind of comedy of we're going to now step out of it and we're going to goof on our own sketch. Is that fun? Did, did we enjoy this? Yeah, fun. And also there was a sense of relief on my part. Yeah, because I thought. They were actually doing a sketch that was that bad. And I was pulling my hair out. I was <laughs> no. like, come on, guys, you are better than this. When Leslie flubs her cue and she's looking back and forth on the cameras, because you and I have talked about the numerous times when she's kind of had those little awkward moments, the fact that they make her that character and put her in that situation and then force her to comment on it. Yeah. It's a very inside joke for the kind of the hardcore fans that do sit and dissect the show at that level, but it was perfect. Yeah, it was a it was a really great goof on what everyone knows about Leslie Jones performance skills. There's a lot to love about Leslie. I love Leslie. Sure. She's hilarious. She does have her limitations and she does have her lack of experience in certain things like live sketch work. Yeah, I think this eases a lot of the tension. Yeah, it it eases the tension. Sometimes when you do see something go wrong in a sketch and you're just wondering is it even polite to mention it? Like when, when do you, when do you come down on them? And when do you just accept that they're doing the best they can in a live environment? It's nice that they're rolling with it and they're not taking it too seriously and they can goof on it. Cause it just, it makes me sleep a little bit better at night knowing that I'm not saying things that potentially someone who works really hard on the show and is doing their absolute best could hear at some point down the line. And, and you, you just never want to deflate them because you know, everyone, everyone's trying so hard, uh, doesn't always come together though. I like the sketch. I, I think, um, I think it was good that it came and went as quick as it did. Cause I didn't think there was anywhere else they could have gone with it. Yeah. Yep. This was just a really great sketch for fans like you and I, who probably take it a little too seriously. <laughs> yep. And I, I really appreciate it. Yep. This is a, this is a wink at everyone who watches the show religiously week to week. Totally. Our children are watching. We get a quick little pre-tape. Vanessa Bayer is discussing the election with a bunch of, uh, I'm assuming preschoolers or, you know, or, or young, young children. The punchline is one of the girls is Dave Chappelle's daughter. And she has some slightly more insightful things to say than the other kids. Uh, what did you think of this sketch? I think it really shows, you know, the struggles that the black community have to go through. And I think it illustrates some things that might be lost on, uh, the privileged white, the white culture of North America. Cause you ask the white kids about Donald Trump and their, their observations are a little superficial. Oh, he has funny hair. He's funny, but he says mean things, you know, like stuff kids can understand, but not really nuanced or mm-hmm. uh, detailed. But then the black child, you know, has some really, serious stuff to say and like the societal implications of such a political figure and, and yada, yada, yada. She goes into, you know, she has some very nuanced detailed opinions. Mm -hmm. And then it's revealed when Dave Chappelle comes out as her father, that he's pretty much putting these, this stuff into her head. And I think that, you know, shows how, you know, these underprivileged minorities, they need to be prepared for adult life in a different way than white people. Okay. So that, that extra bit of preparedness required for minorities, this is what this sketch I think is, is reflecting. Okay. I am, I appreciate it really. Well, that is a, a subtext that I didn't connect with, which I think it's good that you did. Cause it's a, it's a fair point that the perspectives that the kids are showing is really a reflection of the dinner table conversation at their respective homes. Yeah. So you do get a sense that 
the little black girl has obviously been exposed to more important ideas earlier <laughs> than the white kids whose parents maybe, you know, coddle them a little more or yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't hear that necessarily in a home of, of a family where they feel that life maybe does have its struggles and you need to be a little bit shrewder uh, and skeptical of your leaders or, or whatnot. So, okay. So yeah, there's, there's maybe a little depth there. Uh, if it went over my head, I'm guessing a lot of people probably took it in more lighthearted terms, but if the writers behind it really were digging that deep, I'm glad to know that it wasn't lost on everyone. Let's talk a little bit about last call. Our good friend, Sheila Sauvage is back. And this time David Chappelle's Corey Dipshits is joining her for a rendezvous at the bar <laughs> to Keenan's dismay. We've seen Sheila Sauvage a lot. It seems like a lot of the hosts maybe want to revisit the sketch because it seems like so much fun to do. Yeah, I'm I'm done with the sketch personally. Yeah. This is one too many. It was good while there was still some droplets to wring out of the concept, but I think we're now wrung dry. I I agree entirely. I love the character, but they have to give it enough time to stew where they can come up with really fresh, punchy things for the characters to be saying back and forth that it feels inventive and fresh and not just a Mad Libs kind of sketch. And they've kind of hit that wall. It seems like the last couple runs at it, there wasn't anything too inventive to make you feel like it was worth coming back to. And it really just hangs on the fact that it's always fun to see two people in kind of a gross, sloppy, awkward you know, makeout session. Like that's, that's the big climax joke of the sketch. And because they know that that's going to land no matter what's surrounding it, it seems like they're willing to push this back into the show before there's enough fresh stuff to really ground the sketch in. Yeah. Yep. So I didn't feel it was a win. I liked the little Bellagio <laughs> goof that they did. That was fun. And Keenan sight gags, you know, those are always good, but at the same time, nothing more inventive than the previous outing. So it's just kind of more, more filler on the exact same bones pre-tape Leslie is looking for love and she finds it in Kyle Mooney. What did you think? I did enjoy it. Cause Kyle uh, and his insecurities is a great, great character. The fact that he's still a virgin in this sketch, <laughs> it was pretty funny to explore. And that insecurity he had about Colin Jost was really I thought it was really well done the way that he denies it up front, but very, yes. very clearly is harboring some ill feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good, I think. I really liked the little visual editing trick that they did where they're, where Kyle Mooney's talking about um, his insecurities about Colin Jost, and they cut to Leslie Jones at the Weekend Update desk where she keeps like professing her love for Jost and keeps trying to like solicit him on air. And each time they do it, they cut zoom in on her until at the last clip, they're just like on her mouth. Like that's taking up the whole frame and then they like blow it out with light. Like, so you've got like this dramatic music behind it. And then just the, the visual punch of each time she's, she comes at Jost, she's bigger in frame and it's like more intense to have enough time to put those little kind of editing flourishes into a pre-tape like this on SNL. I think it's worth mentioning because the creative people behind it really have to know their craft and know where to find those moments and how to draw them out and just pull them together in a short period of time that there's a lot of pros heightening this material. And I don't think we always appreciate how much effort and creativity goes into building these pre-tapes. Yeah. In the middle of the sketch, they get Lauren to sit down for an aside <laughs> where, you know, he says, I usually don't get involved in in uh staff relationships, but I think it's really important for Kyle to lose his virginity. <laughs> <laughs> I love that someone came up with that and that they were able to, you know, rope Lauren into participating and that Lauren delivered it as sincerely as he did. It's just a fun moment. I really like that. Lauren is willing to lend his appearance to sketches when it would improve the concept. Yep. He chooses his appearances wisely. He doesn't do it willy nilly sure. for no reason. Yep. I think he, he does have good reason to show up when he does. And this is one of those times. I agree. Yep. I thought it was a, a good spot for him to participate. And overall, I liked the piece end to end. I thought it was really well crafted and fun 
Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, him and Jost in the hallway, I thought was a good moment. <laughs> um, okay, ten to one sketch, mother's milk. I liked it. If it, it felt like a, an SNL type of thing. <laughs> SNL. I don't know what else there is to really say about it. Did you feel it worked for you or what, what was your takeaway? Yeah, I felt it worked. I was uh, watching it and felt it was reminiscent of a little Britain recurring sketch. Okay. It, it worked for me. You know, it was very similar to that sketch, but it was different enough that I, that I felt like it was just a complete rehash. Sure. Another common SNL trope was Kyle's role as the enabler <laughs> yeah. of the sketch. Yeah, he's ever earnest, he's ever innocent, and he's completely unscathed by what's going on around him. He's just content and happy in the scenario, no matter how crazy it gets. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of expected him to stick around after everybody mm-hmm. left. It was predictable in that sense. But you know what? This was a 10 to 1 sketch, and the main purpose of these often is to just shock and confuse Mm-hmm. and traditional joke punchline setup, all that stuff that kind of falls secondary to just confusing the viewer and saying, what the hell am I watching? Right. Since this wasn't a recurring sketch or a rehash of anything we've seen too recently on SNL, if it had been up to me, I probably would have swapped this with last call, put this earlier in the show just to keep a little bit of energy coming into the back half and then let the show fizzle out on, uh, on last call. Cause I've, I felt like this was the stronger of the two, the fresher of the two, the more fun of the two. Uh, like even though the sloppy kiss is fun in last call, seeing everyone get squirted with milk, <laughs> I thought was more fun, even though Leslie, well, it wasn't Leslie's fault. It was the camera that cut too late, but you see the milk squirting gun out of the side of her blanket. I always find those little moments kind of, kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm not that, immersed in a in a live three camera <laughs> sketch anyway sure you you kind of lend us a, a, a suspension of disbelief yeah that's a fair point i mean nobody who's watching the sketch thinks that leslie jones is literally squirting breast milk in the moment right you know that yeah. there's something back there that she's using um so to see it isn't a deal breaker for the sketch and it is fun when you in this case literally pull back the curtain a little bit and you realize yeah these guys are just barely holding this thing together right like every sketch that gets up on screen these guys are just trying to remember where am i supposed to be standing what's my next line where's the cue card going to be it's so in the moment that you can't ask for more polish than what you're seeing that's true you can't Let's put this to bed. Let's get into the moment of the night. What took it for you? Oh, I'm, t- I'm torn between the monologue and the walking dead short. Well, let's, let's just be careful though, because there's also best overall sketch. Like with moment of the night, it's usually like just one standout beat that kind of catches your attention. You go, wow, that was really smart or something, something along those lines. So specifically in those sketches, what was it like? What was the moment that made you sit up and take notice? I'm going to say it was the pulse joke from the monologue. Okay. Okay. That's the name of the nightclub, right? Am I getting that right? Yeah. Where the shooting was in Florida, right? Yeah. Pulse. Yeah. yeah. That, (laughs) that was probably my favorite joke of the night. And that's the one that got the biggest reaction out of me, both from laughter and, you know, surprise that he went, he went out on that limb. Sure. So that's got to be my moment for sure. Okay. I had a similar thought, but I'm actually, I think I'm going to switch it up last minute. My original thought was I wanted to give it to the police shoot the gorilla and it was the hardest decision they ever made joke. <laughs> yeah. Cause him. Ta- I almost said that one too. Actually. Yeah. To take that heavy weighty topic and make such a funny, smart, quick, poignant joke out of it. When I heard it, I just thought, yeah, you, there is no better joke from that concept than what he, he just made. Um, so I really like that, but I'm not going to give it to that. I'm giving my moment to when the screen fades up. And it's Kate McKinnon at a piano. Yeah. I think for how smart it was, the line that they were trying to walk, how beautiful that song is, the fact that they were able to mesh a a touching tribute to Leonard Cohen with the sensitive and mournful spirit of so much of the US population right now, to have all of that stuff swirling around in the consciousness of the show and for them to find that moment of here's just a graceful Kate McKinnon singing passionately and then her emoting at the end of it and making it clear that she's as torn up about the state of the country as a lot of the population. There was a a lot to love 
about what they were trying to put up on screen. Yeah. I don't always agree with the politics, but I can't help but feel like that was a very smart moment that they found there. It was. So that's, that's mine. Since you gave it to Chappelle's, you know, a moment in his monologue, I feel all the better because I felt like his monologue was really strong. And that's going to bring us to the next question. Best overall sketch. Yeah. I'm going to give it to uh walking dead sketch. Okay. You just love the fan service of seeing all those characters come back. Well, yeah. And I don't know. This was Dave Chappelle's show and this was a very Dave Chappelle saturated sketch. Okay. It was all Chappelle. Yeah. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with being engrossed by seeing a, a little bit of what made that show so special back in the day. Yeah. Back up on screen. Like that's, that's a win in and of itself. My best overall sketch, not technically a sketch, but I'm giving it to the monologue. I feel like end to end, that was the most like engaged and enraptured I was by the show. Just seeing him just cool and just collected and smart jokes. And it's very, I, for me, the mark of a good comedian is someone that can take me who I have a very low threshold for like racially oriented humor. Not in that I get offended by it, but I just don't enjoy it because there's so much of it out there. Yeah. When it's done really well and it's not loud and abrasive and in your face and obvious, but when it's just cool and calm and just really, really well crafted and can win me over, I feel like that's, that's special because I'm not the best audience for that type of material. So when I'm loving it, I know that it's really, really good. So yeah, monologue took it for me. What was your MVP? I'm giving the MVP to... Mr. Dave Chappelle. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm noticing. You just killed it, man. You sure, killed it tonight. Sure. I'm noticing an obvious trend. You really, really were happy to see Chappelle on SNL. Is that a fair takeaway? I still can't believe it. I couldn't believe it when I heard the <laughs> announcement. I couldn't believe it while I was watching it. And having watched it, I question if I dreamt it or not. Okay. Now, even as we're discussing it here, this could be part of the dream too. It's just, it's so surreal. I'm just like a kid in a candy store. I'm probably going to go watch this episode three times in a row after we're done. Okay. Uh, fair enough. I'm giving MVP to Kate McKinnon. She was really the only one other than Chappelle that had any significant work to do this week. And that's who I would have given it to. Yeah. If it weren't for my love for Chappelle. And that's not to say like simply having all the screen time doesn't mean that you're the MVP if you're the weak part of the sketch. But in this case, Kate McKinnon is never the weak link, right? She was in every sketch because the show just knows what they can get out of her and how great she can make some of this material. And so they're everyone's behind her. Uh, so if it's finding the right tone for the cold open, or if it's, you know, whatever Ruth Bader Ginsburg on weekend update, she is just the go-to person. I can't, I don't, I don't know how you can look at the show and, and other than maybe Chappelle think of anyone else who maybe would even be in the running for MVP this week on a scale of classic, great, typical week or train wreck. How would you rate this episode? I'm rating this one. A classic, a classic. Wow. You do love Chappelle. Not just because of Chappelle. It's the first episode after a very uh, polarizing election. Mm -hmm. It commemorated one of my favorite musicians, Leonard Cohen. Uh, the whole episode had a completely different energy. Uh, the way the audience exploded for a tribe called quest, the amount of, uh, social commentary in the monologue and the sketches. It was just a perfect companion piece to this historical point of the U S basically. Okay. You know, aside from it being really solid comedically, uh, it did have its clunkers as we discussed, Sure. but it, I think this is an important episode of SNL. Okay. And I think this is one of the reasons why we still have this show around is to, is to be there to comment on these things as they happen. Okay. And something really big happened. So I can respect that. I disagree, but I definitely respect where you're coming from. And I can certainly see the merit in your argument. My thinking is bringing Dave Chappelle in great. I think because the election turned so jarringly midweek. And it's right in the midst of when they're trying to craft what the show is going to be. I saw a lot of obvious telltale signs in the show that there was a lot of sort of like last minute pivoting 
on sketches and material. And I think they had to scrap some of what they were planning on. And it just seemed like there was a lot of rejiggering at points in the show. And because that stood out a little bit and because it was such a tightrope walk on so many fronts, just because of what's going on in the world, my experience of watching it was a little more detached than yours, right? Like you were all in on Chappelle, whereas I was intentionally trying to watch it as dispassionately as I could and just say, as an episode of SNL, if if you're not one week, less than a week removed from the election, if we're watching this in 10 years, is it still going to feel as poignant? And I don't necessarily think it would. I think put in context, people will still see the value in a lot of the material in it. But I felt that there was still enough sketches that fell flat. Yeah. I felt Weekend Update was really shaky. And not really loaded up. They only had one feature, which is fine. You know, that's not a bad thing. But even that feature was someone we've seen a lot. And though she had something to say and Kate McKinnon brought as much as she could to it, there was nothing really momentous about it. And then the rest of it, I didn't feel elevated as high as I, as I was expecting a show from Chappelle too. The first two, the cold open Chappelle's monologue, I was a hundred percent in on the show. And I just felt from the moment the monologue ended, the rest of the show just steadily kind of declined. Yeah. It, it, at least in some respects. So for me, my original take last night on first watch was typical. I got to give it typical because I, I couldn't say that this was a win end to end. But then on second watch this morning, I did feel like there was enough really smart, good moments that elevated it just barely out of typical. So I'm going with great on this. Yep. Yeah. We usually are on generally the same page. We'll both agree that something's good or bad. We might just have varying degrees of extremity. (laughs) Yeah. We're usually in the same end of the spectrum. I don't think anyone would look back on this episode and say, this is what SNL usually is. No, this is a little bit greater, but because it had those weak moments, I don't think it's quite up to classic standard. Okay. I don't have a whole lot left to say. Was there anything else just as a final takeaway? Because there is this historical context surrounding the show. Is there anything else that's worth saying about this episode before we sign off? <sighs> Nothing that we haven't already said. I just, I just hope that uh, people listen to what Davis said and what I've heard a lot of people on a lot of different news shows say is that we might find it unfortunate that Trump became president. You know, a lot of us don't like it at all. The reality of the fact is that he won fair and square. And as Dave uh, Chappelle said to end his monologue, you know, we got to at least work with the guy and, you know, try and hope for him to succeed. Sure. In, in, in a certain capacity, because we're, we're all in this together and this is the boat we're in now. So I think that was the main thing we need to take away from this episode. Yeah. Just because there are people in the United States that may feel like their neighbors are ignorant one way or another because of their views or their leanings or their political stand. That's never a good reason to become ignorant ourselves. Yes. There's always a great reason to hold yourself to a higher standard because then you're really championing your ideals. You're really recommending to the people around you that the type of values that I hold actually motivate me to be a member of the community and be a decent person and really stay a little bit above the things that divide us. And if people from either political stripe can ascend to that level, then the United States will be just fine. And, uh, I hope they get there because the last week has been kind of, kind of a mess, but these things don't last forever. And, uh, hope they, uh, I hope they start finding their way. (laughs) Here's hoping. Yeah. All right. That's a cast. Thanks to my guest, Steve Finn. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at TransparencyCHMR. And thank you also to this week's sponsor, Firefan. If you'd like to support our podcast, please consider using and bookmarking our Amazon.com or Amazon.ca affiliate link found at SNLAfterParty.fm. It costs you absolutely nothing to use our affiliate links when shopping online, but it really helps us in covering our expenses and is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Kristen Wiig and musical guest The XX. This has been episode number six of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Well. 
11 years later. the crew of Saturday Night Live and, and Lauren Michaels for helping me check something off my bucket I would like to thank Chris Rock, my man. I would like to thank Consequence and Buster Rhymes. Making a comeback is scary as hell. <laughs> I wouldn't even call it a comeback, but whatever it is, it's so much better than not come alone. So thank you to a tribe called Quest. <laughs> I love you. I appreciate you. Good night. It's more shootings than I can literally count. You can't even go to the goddamn zoo without seeing a shooting nowadays. They shot a gorilla in my local zoo. And the Cincinnati police said, shooting that gorilla was the toughest decision this department ever had to make. I said, well, you about to see a lot of niggas in gorilla costumes in Cincinnati.